psalm. Good. You can see that from the first couple of verses. It's pretty clear that, that our responsibility is to say something about God to God and, and in the presence of other people. And there's really, if you thought Thanksgiving psalm, you're, you're not too far off. Um, really, it's praise and thanksgiving is, not, is pretty much in the same family. The difference between a praise and a thanksgiving psalm is very minor. A praise psalm is, is more generic, like this one is. We're going to see there's not a specific request that he asked about and, and uh, saw God answer. A thanksgiving psalm praises God for something specific that was answered. So, like in Psalm, I think it's 38, He brought me out of a miry pit and He set my feet on a solid rock. That's a specific thing. He's, he's in a time of trouble. He needs, to be, he needs to be rescued. Well, this is a praise psalm. And in this psalm, the author wants us to be reminded of God's great works for us as a whole, as a congregation, and then God's great work for each of us individually. So it, it's going to move from a corporate worship that is, all of us ought to see what God has done and praise Him for it. And then individual worship. That is, what has God done for me? And, and how should I praise Him? And, uh, and so that's what we'll look at here as we go through. So let me begin with verse 1, and I'll read the entire psalm. This is the Word of God. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God... How awesome are your works! Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in His deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in Him. He rules by His might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound His praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For You have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet You brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into Your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay You my vows which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor His loving kindness from me. God's greatness demands our highest praise. And it's no surprise, shouldn't be any surprise to you, that when we come to a psalm of praise that it's going to be about God. It's going to be about God and His greatness and that there's nothing any different here in this text. That God, because He is great, we ought to praise Him. We ought to um, be excellent in our praise. And so as I mentioned, you can see the, the uh, pronouns shift from verse 12 to verse 13. So it's talking about how, how God has done these things for us. Look at the end of verse 12. Yet you brought us out into a place. That's what it was doing the entire time. Verses 1 through 12. And then verse 13, I shall come. 
So instead of we and us in verses 1 through 12, it switches to I and me and my in verses 13 through 20. So that's what I was talking about when I said that it moves from corporate worship, what God has done for the people and how we ought to praise Him together, and into individual worship. And so that's how our our outline is going to reflect that that structure. So first, everyone should praise God because of His great works in verses 1 through 4. Again, in many of the Psalms, you're going to find the theme of the Psalm early on in the Psalms. It's often the way the psalmists write. They just just lay out the theme for you right there in the first couple of verses. And, and that's what the psalmist does here. Everyone should praise God because of His works. In verses 1 through 2, we see a command to worship. What are the commands? In verses 1 and 2, say them out for me. Shout joyfully. Sing the glory of His name. What's the next one? Make His praise glorious. And then it kind of spills over into verse 3 as well. Say to God. Okay, so those are the commands that are given. And basically it's saying that we have a two-fold responsibility. Based on these commands, we have a two-fold responsibility. First, we need to make God's name known to others. Right? Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. So that there's a, and I, the idea is that we have a responsibility to, to praise God so that others will hear. But we also have a responsibility to praise God because God expects for us to, to speak to Him. Notice verse 3, Say to God, how awesome are your works. So, this is what our singing does, by the way. It, it, it's, it's a way in which we both talk to God and to one another. That's why Ephesians 5 says, Sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with melody in your heart. What? To the Lord. So, sing to one another, sing to the Lord. In the same command, Paul saying, do two things. That's what the psalmists often do as well. Sing to God. Say these things to God that are true about God. This is a proper way to praise God, but do it in the presence of others as well. And in that way, we, we encourage one another. Did you ever consider that your public praise of God honors God and it helps others to be reminded of God's greatness? When, when we sit under the singing of the congregation or when we are in the presence of, of a congregation that sings, we're reminded that these people believe what they're singing. That the reason that they're singing this way and, and with this much joy is because they, they believe what, they, what they're singing. And so, uh, your singing ought to do the same thing. Well, how do we do this? How do we make God's name known to others and praise God directly? How do we do this? This is a really elementary question, but how do we do this according to the text? Well, notice the verbs again. Shout, sing, and then verse 3, say. So, very simply, how do we do this? The answer is with our mouths. Okay, did you notice that it doesn't say think joyfully about God or think about the glory of His name? No, it says shout and sing and say, use your mouth. These are direct commands that, that I think we are to obey. That, that believers are, are supposed to be um, welling up with joy in their hearts because of what God has done for them. And as a result, it, it flows out of their mouth. Well, how can we make God's praise glorious? Notice this um, 
I think the first two commands there are pretty clear. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. And then the third one in, at the end of verse 2, make His praise glorious. Notice that we don't make God glorious. Sometimes you might think the more that I obey, the more that I speak about God, the more glorious God becomes. But, but we need to recognize that God was glorious before we were ever created, before anything was created, and He will be glorious after many people will be destroyed in hell forever. And so we don't add any glory to God. God has always been glorious. He doesn't change in His gloriousness or in His glory. We don't add glory to God when we, when we shout glory. What we're doing is we're, we're magnifying the attention to that glory. We're magnifying the attention to that glory like we might do with a diamond ring. Right? If we write a blog post or you know, put on social media somewhere about this, this beautiful ring and, and this diamond and how beautiful it is. We can talk all about it. We don't make the diamond more glorious, right? The diamond is already glorious in itself. We simply magnify the gloriousness of the diamond. And that's what we're doing with God. We're not changing anything in His character or in His person. We're simply highlighting it. We're showing it off to a watching world. And uh, that's what God expects of us. So the command to worship there in verses 1 and 2, and then the expectation of worship in verses 3 and 4. The fourth command in verse 3 says, Say to God, and it includes an example and an expectation. The example of praise helps us to see what we might say in our praise to God. So, so what might we, if we're going to shout, joyfully to God all the earth, if we're going to make God's praise glorious, what might we say? Well, verse 3 helps us. We might say something like this, How awesome are your works! Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give you feigned obedience. So, the example of praise helps us to see what we might say, that, that God is awesome in His works. And that really goes along with what I think the overall point of the, the text is, and that is that everyone should praise God because of His great works. And then there's an expectation here at the end of verse 3 and then into verse 4. And the expectation is that because He is great, everyone will come to acknowledge this. Everyone will come to acknowledge God's greatness, even His enemies. Look at the end of verse 3. Uh, well, just read the whole thing. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you and all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. So there's coming a time when all of the earth is going to acknowledge God's greatness. And so our job is to be a sounding board for God's glory. We, we want to, to spread out the Word. We want to be heralds of God's greatness through our singing, through our praise. And, and since God is so excellent in His greatness, we should praise Him to that same degree. That is, the level of our excellence in praising Him ought to match the level of His glory. On Sunday night, after the service, I went to the Pistons game. Uh, they played the Cavs the last, the fourth game of the first round. And the Pistons played okay most of the game. But, but the level of excitement for most of the fans, including myself, was, was not that high until the end. I was sitting down, in fact, the whole game until the end. They, they were down by four points, and Catavius Caldwell-Pope hit a three-pointer that pulled them within one. And it was at that time the whole crowd erupted. It was the first time I got out of my seat. 
And, and the level of my excitement, the level of my praise for the Pistons and what they were doing at that time matched the level of play that they were, that they were doing. And, and the idea is that, that God is excellent in His greatness. Okay? Not, to, not to demean God by, by using the Pistons as an example. Okay? Don't, don't, want to, um, don't want to defame His name in any way. But, but, but the point is, that the level of excitement, the level of, of joy and praise and excellence ought to match the level of glory for the person that we're worshiping. And, and if He is glorious, if He is great, if all the earth is going to bow down and worship Him one day, then, then we should start now. Everyone should praise God because of His great works. Secondly, everyone should praise God because of His great works in Israel's history. So let's talk about this a little bit more specifically because verses 5-7 through seven give us uh, some history, just some brief highlights of Israel's history, probably the two most notable events in Israel's history. And, um, and because of those events, we continue to praise God. Verse 5 shows us that God delivers His people in, his, in history. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in His deeds. Remember, this is the psalmist calling all people to come and, and, and witness what He witnessed. And that is that God is great. Notice how awesome God's deeds are, verse 5, towards the sons of men. He, he's, jo- he's calling people to join in with Him and acknowledging God for His great works in Israel's history. What specifically did God do? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer. The psalmist seems to be praising God for two specific highlights or events that took place. And what are they in verse 6? Okay, so which two events are we talking about? If, what's the Red Sea connected to? The Exodus, right? And then the, the drying up of the Jordan River was what? The conquest. Okay, so here's the two largest events in Israel's history, the Exodus and the conquest. And, and so what should we praise God about even today? And the answer is because God delivered Israel in these two spectacular ways and here we have a psalmist. Now, we don't know if this was Moses. could have been Moses that wrote the psalm, but, but likely it's a psalmist who wrote several hundred years after the Exodus event. And, and even though he's several centuries removed, likely, from these events, he still thinks back to God's deliverance and gives him praise. This is why we ought to be, as Christians, we ought to be good at history, specifically Bible history. That is, what, what kind of events have taken place in the Scriptures that we know about where God specific, specifically worked? And, and, you know, I guess the, the well of praise and, and glory that ought to be ascribed to God's name should not be dried up. Like, you know, well, you know, all the children of Israel, after they came out of the Exodus, they kind of, they kind of exhausted all the praise that was necessary for what God needed for those events, right? No. Throughout history, we think back to these events and remember that God was great and we continue to thank Him for it because those events actually had an impact on, on who we are today. And in verse 7, I'm skipping a bunch of blanks here, but verse 7, God rules as King over all. God rules as King over all. He rules by His might forever. So, 
Why should we praise God because of His great works? Well, it's not just because He worked a couple times in the past, but He, he is the sovereign ruler today. He rules over the entire universe. And so we should praise Him for that. And then fourthly, the wicked should not steal credit from God. At the end of verse 7, it says, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And this is easy to do because as I mentioned um, I think last week, God doesn't often take the credit for the things that He does. He often works silently. And, and so sometimes we don't see that it's actually God working. We, we attribute it to something else like maybe luck or chance or my hard work, my ingenuity, my grit. We just kind of kind of push through it and God's sitting back in the background saying, that, that, that was me. Okay, I'm the one who has responsibility. Anyway, any type of good that comes into the world is all because of me. No strength is given apart from my spirit. Right? No, no rain falls except for the rain that comes from the sovereign God who rules over all. Pharaoh should have known that God was watching over the rule, world, that He was ruling over His people, and that He would be foolish to do what the end of verse 7 says, to exalt Himself. And when He did, He, he saw who God really was, didn't He? Everyone should praise God because of His great works in Israel's history. And then, thirdly, because of His great works in our own history, verses 8-12. through 12. And when I say in our own history... I'm talking about from the perspective of the psalmist here, the psalmist here, because uh, he's probably several hundred years removed from these events that, that he's praising God for in verses uh, five through seven. So now he's saying, well, but, but God has actually helped us. There have been specific troubles that, that I and we as a congregation of Israel have experienced, and, and now I want to recognize what God has done in those things. And so the song now transitions from how God dealt powerfully with Israel in the past to how God dealt compassionately with Israel in their troubles. In, in verses 1-7, through seven, He's talking about deliverance. In verses 8-12, through 12, He's talking about walking them through trials. Or, or we could say it this way, not abandoning them in trials. And the psalmist is saying, I know this is the case because I have experienced God's care and His goodness in those times. And this reality of God's mercy in times of trial ought to be recognized by more than just Israel. Look at verse 8. It says, Bless our God, O peoples. So he's calling on more than just you, you sons of men, you Israel, you, you sons of Israel, you praise God because He walked you through trials, but, but all you peoples, come in and witness what God has done. And why should we praise Him? The answer is in verse 9. Because He keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. Praise God because He sustains our life in times of trial. And I know it's a trial because we're going to get there in verses 10-12. through 12. Um, So, kind of um, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but, but that's the idea. You sustained us. These trials that, that, that we're going to be talking about here in verses 10-12 through 12 are, are difficult and you didn't abandon us, you stayed with us, and you also didn't allow us to slip. Get off the path towards righteousness. Verses 
10 through 12, we see that God keeps us on the path. Keeps us on the right path through trials. I hope that you know what the psalmist knows. And that is that the trials that come in your life are not designed to derail you. But they're meant to show God's power and His care. And, and to show you that He does remain with you. The, notice this specific purpose in this trial. The psalmist draws out, verse 10, For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. So, so God is not only with them, but, but He's actually purifying them through this. So in their experience of loss, in their time of trouble, God was using that to purify them, to make them better, to make them more holy. Now these trials were unexpected in verse 11. You, you brought us into a net. You laid an oppressive burden up upon our loins. So, so they were unexpected, weren't they? That's what the net idea is. You, you brought us into a place. We didn't see it coming. All of a sudden we're in a trial. We need to get out. We need to get through. And these trials were hard. It's like an oppressive burden at the end of verse 11. And then verse 12, You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. It was like our enemies were, were kind of just walking over our fallen bodies after their victory. And deep trouble came from God, but it was all for a purpose. Verse 10, it was to refine us like silver is refined in a fire. We, we look at something like that and why go through such... Uh, why put the silver through, through such a crucible? And the, the purpose of it is to make sure that it's purified in the end. And God uses trials for us in the same way. And the good news is that God delivers us out of all of our trials. In the end, God didn't let them remain in trouble. He delivered them. And the result is, back to our point. Remember, this is not, not a lament. This is a praise psalm. So the point is that we ought to praise God for this. Here's one of the reasons He brings us through these trials so that when we look back and realize what God has brought us through, that He didn't allow our foot to slip, that He purified us through it, then at the end, we can praise Him. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. First Peter 1.7 says, says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the fact. That when you make it out onto the other side of a trial, one of the great privileges that you have that you didn't have before is that you could praise God specifically for taking you through that trial. Through, through help, helping you walk through and specifically, 1 Peter 1 is talking about on the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's coming a time when we in heaven and for eternity will be thinking back to the trials that we had on life. Sometimes we think about heaven like we're just going to have all of our memories just washed clean. And we're not going to remember anything that ever happened on the earth. But I, I don't think there's any basis in the Scripture for that kind of thinking. Um, there's going to be a judgment seat and we're going to be judged on the basis of what we did, whether good or bad. So all of our bad deeds are going to be exposed there for all to see. And so we're not going to be wiped clean of our memory. We're going to have memory. And that's what's going to make God's mercy so sweet. Because we're going to be reminded about how we, either because of our sin or just because of our human weakness, 
walked through trials and God didn't abandon us. And so what we'll be able to do on the end, on the last day, is to praise God for His mercy. And all this praise and glory will just keep redounding to the glory of God. And and we'll just be like like a, a huge crowd at a witness stand. We're just coming up one after another telling about how God's mercy brought us through and how we didn't deserve to go on anymore. And yet God brought us through. God delivers us out of our trials. Now, when I say something like that, you might think, well, wait a second, I've had a trial that I've been experiencing my whole life or for the last three decades or whatever it is, and I'm not out of the trial. And it doesn't look like I'm ever going to get out in this lifetime. But I didn't say in this lifetime. Okay, God will deliver you out of all of your trials, whether it be in this time, lifetime, or the next. You can be confident because you look in Hebrews 11 and you see all these people who died without receiving the promise, right? So they had, they walked through some trials and actually died walking through a trial. Some of them were killed because of their faith. And so we have confidence that we will be able to make it through trials. And so whether we make it through on this in this life or in the next, we'll look back and say, thank you, God. You are worthy of our praise. So everyone should praise God because of His great works in Israel's history and in our own history. And then now we turn to my individual praise. This is a praise from a single person. That is that I should praise God because of His answered prayer. I should praise God because of His answered prayer. Verses 13 through 20. He basically makes two main statements in, in this section, and that is that I will follow through on my commitment to praise Him, and then when, when I call, God hears and delivers. So first, I must follow through on my commitment to praise Him, verses 13 through 15. Here the psalmist is recounting a time when he was in distress. Look at verse 14. Well, the end of verse 13, I shall pay you my vows, the vows of praise which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. So so go back with me to the time in which he was in distress. He's down there in in the pit, the miry pit. And apparently what he did is he, he promised God something. He said, God, if you will get me out of this, I will praise you. Again, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we often pray this way. God, do this thing. And, it, and when you do, we will give you the praise for it. It kind of just rolls off our tongue, but that's an actual vow that we're making to God, and we need to be careful about that and be careful to follow through. What he does here, the psalmist does, is he remembers that vow that he had made. That while he was in a time of distress, he prayed for God to deliver him, and he promised that he would praise God. I promise that I'm going to come before you with these offerings of thanksgiving. And now that you have delivered me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow through. And so one of the ways that I personally can honor God is by fulfilling the promise that I made to Him. Ask yourself, did I ever cry out for help in a time of deep distress? And then during that time, promise to praise God when He delivered me. And if you did, has He delivered you? And if He has, you ought to fulfill your vow to praise Him. What are you going to say about God and, and His deliverance? 
Are you going to pay your vows? This is what the psalmist recognizes that he must do, and he's happy to do it. It's not like, a, man, I, re- I really don't want to do this. But, but no, he, he remembers, oh yes, God, you delivered me, and, and I promise to praise you, and here it comes. Secondly, when I call, God hears and delivers. Verses 16 through 20. When I call, God hears and delivers. We see that God hears my prayer in verses 16 and 17. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell you of what He has done for my soul. So now He's he's giving His offerings of praise, and He's telling specifically of what God had done. Well, He actually listened to His prayer. Verse 17, I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. So now that the psalmist has promised to praise God for delivering him in verses 16 and 17, he now gives public praise to it. He praises God because God answered his prayer. I mean, he knows that God hears prayer when he calls in purity. God hears my prayer when I call in purity. In verses 18 and 19. If I regard weakness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. This verse is often, you know, we just listen, we just hear this verse. We kind of pull this out of all the other ones when God doesn't hear our prayers. But really, in the context, it does mean that, what you think it means. Um, but in the context, he's actually talking about the goodness of God. He's not talking about how God is kind of opposed to him and kind of looking for sin and, and quick, to, quick to close his ears to, to his son. No. He's saying, he's saying, if I were wicked, if I loved my sin, God wouldn't hear me. And that's a good principle to live by because those who love sin, those who harbor sin in their hearts are enemies of God. And that's what he's saying. God doesn't listen to people who are His enemies. God listens to His children. And so, we're going to see in verse 19 that He actually heard from the psalmist, that God actually listened to the psalmist and He responded to it. But, but we do need to recognize that God listens to His friends. Listen to the Puritan Matthew Henry. He says, If I have, favor, if I have favorable thoughts of iniquity, if I love it, indulge it, allow myself in it, if I treat it as a friend and bid it welcome, make provision for it, and I am loath to part with it, if I roll it under my tongue as a sweet morsel, though it be but a heart sin that is thus countenanced and made much of, if I delight in it after the inward man, God will not hear my prayer. Here's Matthew Henry reminding himself and really summarizing or, or expanding upon what the psalmist is saying. Listen, if I harbor sin, if I love it, if I, if, I, um, if I take care of it, right? if I make provision for it, if I roll it under a tongue like a sweet morsel, it's kinda, I'll save that for later. And really it's something that will destroy me and it will actually block my prayers to God. Then, then uh, God's not going to hear me. But the psalmist knows that God has heard him. Look at verse 19. But certainly God has heard. He has given... He's given heed to the voice of my prayer. God hears my prayer when I call him purity. And then finally, God hears my prayer and responds with compassion in verse 20. God hears my prayer and responds with compassion. It's not just that God listens to me when I pray, but He actually responds with compassion, like a loving father responds to the plea of his child. He wants to help out his child. He wants to give what's best for his child. 
That's the way our Father is with us. And so for all these reasons, we praise God. We praise God because of His great work in Israel's history and our history in carrying us through trials. And we praise God because He hears our prayers. And so we're going we're gonna to fulfill our vows. We're going to follow through on what we promise to God. When we are enjoying a period of time following God's deliverance, it's good for us to reflect on how we got there. Reflect on your history. It's good to remember the great works of God in, in our own lives and also in the larger narrative, narrative of human history. How has God delivered Israel? How has God delivered them from their trials and used those trials to refine them? How has God done the same for us? It's good to reflect on what, on what we had promised to God when we were in that time of distress and then to follow through and pay our vows. It's good to open up our mouths and tell other people about God's goodness. It's good to praise God in song and in testimony about how He has worked on our behalf. And you know, there's coming a day when all the world will join in concert in praising God. When the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. And the whole earth will be filled with His glory. And from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord will be praised. And, and we all with one voice will stand at Mount Zion awaiting the arrival of our King. Maybe singing a song like All Hail King Jesus or Crown Him with Many Crowns. We're not there yet, but part of faith in God and His promises is believing that that day will come and anticipating that it will come and singing praises to the King now and calling others to join in with you. Reflect on your history and remember how you have gotten to where you are. Secondly, we should, we should be good at helping others to see God's works. So help others to see God's great works. Now we might think, okay, well if I'm going to help others to see God's great works, well then this needs to be in a formal setting, either you know, as a preacher or a teacher or as a parent. Or maybe when I have an opportunity in, public, in a public setting. But shouldn't this just be about how we go about our lives? I've known many believers who, who would just regularly recount God's good works to me in an informal way. They weren't standing up in front of a podium. They didn't have a set time. Okay, hey, we're going ha- to have 8 o'clock Monday morning. We're coming together. Praise God for what He's done. Just through the normal course of the day, the good works of God would just come out. One of the best of those believers that I'm thinking about is my boss at Jackson Dawson, John Taylor. He doesn't wait for a public forum or a formal Bible study. He doesn't wait for those times to praise God and talk about His greatness. It just comes up in conversation. Do you know people like this? And this is what God is calling us to do. He's saying no matter what kind of influence you have, whether it be in a public setting or whether it be otherwise, even if you have that public setting, you ought to be doing it in private as well. The, the conversations about God's greatness ought to just come up. 
We ought, to, we ought to talk about it when we're walking along the way. When we're sitting at home. Should be on the doorpost of our house, right? When we, when we wake up in the morning, we should be talking about God's greatness. When you go to bed at night, you should, should talk about what God's done. This is what parents are called to do, to, do in Deuteronomy 6. And, and I think just a, a helpful application for us would just be to, to, to speak about what's in our heart. Right? Are, we, are we thinking and meditating on what God has done for us? I'm not talking about necessarily today. I had a terrible day. You, know, you wouldn't understand. No, but, but has God done anything good for you in history? Has God done anything good for anybody in history? Do you know about those things? And can you talk about them? Get good at telling other people about God's greatness. And, and the way that you get good at it is, of course, just by doing it. Uh, there's no books you have to read to try to, you know, talking about God's greatness for dummies type thing, you know. Uh, just, just start doing it. What do you know about God that's good and that you can just share with someone else that you have a relationship with? And then thirdly, all of God's works are worthy of our praise. All of God's works are worthy of our praise. I said the theme of the psalm is that God's greatness demands our highest praise. And so we should, we should never run out of material. You know, a, a comedian who has to stand up in front of a crowd, you know, if some kind of contest, see how long you can stand up and, and make people laugh. We might run out of material. But, you know, we will never run out of material when it comes to talking about God's greatness. Because there's just more and more things for us to discover about God, and that's why eternity is going to be so great. We're not going to be sitting around thinking, well, I already learned it all in, in my lifetime. I mean, do you know how many church services I sat in? How many chapel times and, and, and home Bible studies I've sat in? I don't need to learn anything more. I can tell you about some of the things I know. No, we're, we are going to be learning. That's one of the great parts about all of eternity is that, that we'll actually learn with a perfect mind, too. Not, not a completely all-knowing mind. There's a difference. But a mind that's not marred by sin. That actually helps us to... Re- we'll have a better memory. We'll, we'll have a better ability to be able to correlate truth. And, and so, as we go throughout eternity, it'll be like just, just uh, exploring the bottom of the ocean. It's just it's endless. This is the glory of God. There, there are so many things that we can praise God for. But there are some special or specific acts of God that demand our regular reflection. And, and the psalmist did this here, and you're going to find the psalmist constantly pointing back to this. In fact, the scripture writers, if you just read through the Old Testament, they're constantly pointing back to specific, um, specific events in the Old Testament. It's not that they don't have any important events that happened in their lifetime or in the previous lifetime, but they're constantly pointing back to two big events, the Exodus and the Conquest. What about for us? Is there, are there specific events or acts of God in the Scriptures that we ought to be regu- regularly thinking about and reminding ourselves about and praising God for? What do you think? Okay? The death of Jesus Christ, right? As often as you drink this, this cup and, and eat this bread, almost the opposite, but um, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Right? Do this in remembrance of me. We're supposed to do this often. Why? So that we don't forget this critical event 
in the Scriptures. When Jesus died and He rose from the dead and He appeared to all these people and, and then He ascended on into heaven. How about in, in the life of this church? Are there any specific events in the life of this church that, that we can remember that God has done something great? And, and we can just think back and reflect on that and, and regularly praise God for that. What about in your life? What about in your life as a family? Was there a significant event where God came and, and just came in a powerful way? A, a way maybe you didn't expect. And He came and mercifully worked in your family. Is there something that you can just regularly remember and point back to? And just keep building on that list. And what, I'm, what I'd like to encourage you to do tonight is to remember some of those events from each of those three places. So from the Scriptures, from the life of our church, and from the life of your own family. And so when you go to your group time to pray, I would like for each person in the group to pray for praise God for, for um, each of those three areas. So some specific event that happened in Scripture, in the life of our church, and in the life of your individual family. Okay, can you do that? Do you have anything to praise God for tonight? I think we do. And, uh, and if we wanted to, we could go all night just praising God for His greatness as we start to remember the works of God. And, and God is worthy of all of that praise and much more. All right. Any questions?